0: Happy early Halloween, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Patron-only exclusive podcast. As part of the Russell Copia Podcast Network, this is The Power Hour. If you're listening to us, that means you're part of the Power Patron tier or higher on patreon.com slash WrestleCopia, and for that, we thank you for your support. And I'm your host, Ray Russell, and joining me for this exciting ride, is this going to be an exciting ride, Steve? Anyways, and joining me, first of all, uh, here is uh, Steve Ekstat. Now, Steve, I-, I have to ask you, are you excited for this episode? you must lie to uh, them you must lie to them no. you must lie to them
1: <laughs> if i have to lie then yeah i'm full of excitement I i'm excited
0: wait i'm excited for what i have to say about this show and i hope that excites the patrons patrons out there anyway we'll try this again i'm not going to edit any of this but i'm your host ray russell and joining me is steve Ekstat, and i'll lie to him this time steve are you are you excited for today's episode of the power hour as we uh review hell in a cell pay-per-view
1: uh, it's always fun talking to you about wrestling, but the show itself, no, definitely not excited for Hell in a Cell.
0: And so I already spoiled it, but this time on the Power Hour, we're just minutes removed from the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. Literally minutes removed. Maybe it looks like 13 minutes ago or something something along those lines. And uh, we're here to rant and review, give our thoughts on the pay-per-view show. Uh, Steve, if you're ready, uh, have you taken the proper medication needed to try and sort through this next uh, hour of WWE perplexity? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm medicated up, man. I'm ready to go.
0: Okay, that works. So this is WWE Hell in a Cell review for October 25th, 2020. We're in the Thunderdome to kick things off. And I did catch the pre-show this time, unfortunately. And uh, as much as I would have liked to have seen last month's pre-show match, I could have went without this one here. As the 24-7 championships on the line, Our truth going up against Drew Gulak here. The match kicks off with Drew. I'm not really sure what the hell he was doing. He was kind of goading R-Truth on, and Truth spears him, tackles him to the ground. Gulak comes back, hooks him in a hangman neckbreaker submission over his shoulder. I thought that was cool. You don't see that move very often, um, but our truth rolls backwards out of that, makes his big comeback, does the John Cena moves, a five-knuckle shuffle. Doesn't hit the AA, though. Gulak gets out of that one, and Truth winds up just winning the match out of nowhere with a jackknife pin in about five minutes and 15 seconds, and worthless use of Drew Gulak, who's a, an actual wrestler, but at least he has a job still, I suppose. Why couldn't this have just been one of those 30-second backstage 24-7 title segments? A lot much better talent in the WWE right now left off this show in order for this match to take place.
1: Yeah, there wasn't much going on with this one. I, I enjoy Gulak's work. I'm, I'm glad he, he was one of those guys that they thought was going to get fired, but then he ends up... Re, no, he was actually out because he was working on a deal and they finally came to terms, so they brought him back. So I'm glad he's here and he has a job, but... Uh, yeah, he deserves better than this. He's damn good in the ring.
0: And then after the match, the comedy, quote-unquote comedy, ensues as ok- Akira Tazawa and the Lucha House Party chase our truth basically out of the building, looking to uh, win the 24-7 title. And then for absolutely no reason whatsoever, Drew Gulak stops over at the announce desk and announced that John Cena sucks. I'm, I'm really hoping this leads to nothing. I, don't, I, I have no interest in seeing John Cena return at the moment just to squash Drew Gulak, so It was just a really big waste of time here on the pre-show, and I'm very glad that the pre-show's over at this point.
1: Yeah, really, the only good thing on the pre-show is the Paul Heyman
0: promo. That's about it. Yeah, and uh, we go into the pay-per-view, and it's Michael Cole doing the intro, and it's Sunday, 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 Thunder, Thunder, Thunderdome, and we kick off the pay-per-view. Right away, we learn we kick off the pay-per-view with one of the championship title matches inside Hell in a Cell. It's the I Quit match, kicking things off. That kind of surprised me. as universal champion, Roman Reigns, battles Jay Uso here in an I Quit match inside the Hell in a Cell. First time ever I Quit match inside the Hell, or inside the Cell. If Jay loses, the Usos will be uh, indentured servants, according to Paul Heyman, for Roman Reigns. Or the, if they refuse, the Uso family will somehow be exiled from the Anowai family. I'm not really sure how that works out, or who Roman Reigns okayed this with, or how this is written into a contract, but that's the story of the match anyway. You got nothing.
1: Got nothing on the on the steps because it does it. It didn't come across as if this was accurate. I mean, Paul Heyman was the one pushing it, but the announcers didn't really touch on it, and I didn't see where they promoted it as being as such. So I, I'm. I know they talked about it a little bit, but I didn't. I just feel like it was more Paul Heyman just talking.
0: Yeah, these were the rules. The that, actual thing. These were the rules they ran over on SmackDown, as best as I could tell. But wow.
1: they didn't come yeah. across very well.
0: Well, no, I don't think a lot of things come across very well here in the <laughs> WWE at this point in time. Basically the story though, the, the announcers do touch on is that Roman Reigns wants the respect of the Usos. He wants the Usos to admit he's the tribal chief. Now you can, you can agree with me on that, that Roman Reigns is pushing this tribal chief shit pretty hard and he wants to be known as the tribal chief. He wants the Usos to refer to him as tribal chief of the family.
1: Yeah, I don't mind it. I, I think it's cool. It's different. I did see an interview recently where Roman Reigns said where he got the inspiration for his character. Who's it's the uh, I can't think of his name. It's Daniel Day Lewis' character from um, Gangs of New York, the Martin Scorsese movie. And that dude's pretty ruthless, and he kind of wants that admiration, and he wants to be known that I'm the top dog around here. So I, I see where Roman's getting it from. What, what his inspiration is, and I, I enjoy it. I don't care how many times he says it; it's pretty cool to me. I, I'm enjoying Roman right now.
0: Yeah, I was uh, in fear before this match got started, especially this being an I quit match, which uh, requires a lot of speaking, uh, that this was going to be another match, much like their last one at the uh, pay-per-view prior Clash of Champions, where Roman Reigns basically spoke uh, for 20 out of the 23 of the minutes of the match. And it, just, it was just overkill for me just talking the entire matchup. And he did do a lot of talking here, too, but I think they toned it down some just enough to where it made sense and it wasn't overkill. I can't help but feel like a story like this, this deep family, emotional, driven storyline would be so much better in a non-PG environment, like more violence inside the cage, blood, things like that. It just felt like had a story like this been told 40 or 35 years ago, it would have been amazing, the, the outcome. I picture more of like a dog collar match in the Piper Valentine's and it's just ruthless, yeah. mur- murderous, you know, uh, action. But we get a WWE style match here. So it, it is what it is. Reign dominates early. Uso does make a comeback. Does a couple dives to the floor. Back inside. Takes Roman Reign's spear. Uso, another comeback. Again hit gets hit with a second spear. Uso finally blocks a third spear. He does take over again. Nails two of his top rope flying splashes fairly early on in the match. And uh, then he goes outside, grabs a leather strap that just happens to be underneath the ring. Starts whipping Roman Reigns with the strap. But guess what happens next? A third spear by Roman Reigns. And now Reigns takes the leather strap, works over Uso with that. And Jay makes a comeback. He tries wrapping the strap around Roman's throat, around Roman's face. And he's he's getting overzealous, I think, with with trying to take over the match. And he's missing every time he's trying to wrap it around his throat. He misses two or three times before he wow. gets it. He starts choking Roman with that. That goes back to that dog collar match, too. I kind of remember when Piper had the chain wrapped around his face. I just kind of envisioned mm-hmm. that, and it, it, that, that's what killed it here for me. This felt like a PG version of a spot like that. It didn't have the same effect on yeah. me because of that.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think this is where Roman came out with the lines that "You going to wish you gave up now, five to ten minutes from now. Right. I thought that was really cool. Uh, that was a really, really good line by Roman basically saying he's going to pay for it. And it, it, this part was really cool too. Uh, I, I enjoyed the strap part. Makes you wonder if they're going to lead to something else, but I, I don't really see it. I mean, this almost feels like it's heading towards Jimmy and Jay feuding more than Jay continuing with Roman. It almost feels that way.
0: Yeah. And I kind of felt that way too, but I just don't see Vince going for that. I don't know how that that's going to work either. It's going to be very hard for the fans to differentiate the two, even though they look like they're going with different hairstyles right now. It's still, I, it's, it's things like this hasn't, haven't worked so well in the past, uh, you know, with the Hardys and, and guys like that. So I you know, and they, they're very yeah. different looking and very different wrestling yeah, styles yeah, and thing. it still didn't work. So I'm not sure that this would work very well either. I, I, I get it. It'll be interesting. We'll see what happens here, but the match goes on. Jay goes to grab a chair, but winds up taking a Superman punch. Roman Reigns goes into his, one of his new finishers, the guillotine choke, but Jay can't say he quits because he's now he's like knocked out or at least halfway unconscious from the guillotine so really he can't quit then the match kind of slows down a little bit for me lots of dragging and downtime at this point more of roman reigns just pleading not pleading with him but telling him warning him you better quit obviously jay doesn't so reigns nails him with a drive-by then he props or sandwiches jay's head between the steel steps and the ring post and hits a second drive-by and at that point uh jay uso is pretty much out of it the ref wants to call the match so roman reigns tosses the ref out of the ring so the outside ref from the outside of the cage comes in, and uh, then the officials run in. And the officials we have now are a far cry from the days of Pat Patterson and Renee Goulet. You know, I don't know who some of these officials are, but they, they just—I they, laugh at them. So, so <laughs> they—they—I uh, know,
1: they all... know the bald guys that Adam Pierce. pierced. Okay. I don't okay. know who the redheaded dude was, and obviously Jamie Noble. But yeah, I saw Jamie yeah,
0: Noble, I boy. I saw Jamie Noble coming in there at the end, boy. And, uh, yeah, you know, I know Adam Pierce was
1: big in Ring of Honor, and he sticks out because of his bald head. And he seems to be getting more as the primary focus as, of those guys, anyway. What yeah. I've seen.
0: So all these officials come in; they all want to cost the match or uh, call. They all want to call the match. Reigns tosses the steps back into the ring, though, and he closes the door. He said he's not done. Reigns places the steps on top of Jay with the indented area of the steel steps uh, over top of Jay's bar- body, basically just to pin him down on the mat. Rain stands over Jay. Lots of talking going on. Uh, there's basically no going back at this point. Reigns says he's going to end Us because, he, you know, Us doesn't understand that Reigns is the tribal chief. So Reigns picks the steps up. He's going to smash them over Jay's face. He's going to murder Jay basically at this point. And that's when Jimmy Uso rushes in to cover up his brother. Jimmy wants to fix this. He's calling Jay Josh. He's referencing Jay by his real name. This is shoot, brother. Or I should say, this is a shoot, Us and uh reigns cries he sits down reigns starts having tears in his eyes they they lock hands solidarity brother reminds me an episode of J- Say by the bell and then uh basically reigns holds tight jimmy's hand and yanks him towards him and then reigns locks jimmy uso in the guillotine in the middle of the ring and that's when jimmy and jay grab each other's hands they're holding each other's hands and jay is forced to look his brother jimmy in the eyes And this was a good camera shot, even if I think this whole thing's horseshit. It was a good camera shot of Jay watching his brother looking directly at him as he's being choked out. Basically, you're watching someone die in front of you, and it's your twin brother. And so Jimmy's basically dying here uh, while looking in Jay's eyes. So Jay calls it quits. He quits the match uh, to save his brother. And I just hate that shit. It's such a cheap cop out to get out of these kind of matches. And this was better than like the whole McFoley Molina horse shit from years ago. But what a shitty way to end this for me. And the match goes 29 and a half minutes. And that's the finish we get out of this. And then both the Usos are back to their knees in no time as if nothing had ever really. I mean, they're selling, but they're not like dead. And Jay's sitting there, sitting up crying. Jimmy's consoling him as if he hadn't just been choked out by Reigns. And they both just sit there and watch Roman Reigns as he walks off. And I'm just like, what the fuck is this horse shit? This guy just tried to murder both of us. And he, there's two of them there. The match is over. You can do whatever you want now. And they just kind of sit there like, okay, well, well that, that's over with. I, I, there was like, it just made no sense to me.
1: Yeah, I didn't mind the finish. I kind of, you kind of figured it was going to go that way. And that's kind of why I mentioned. It seems like they're going to head towards Jay versus Jimmy. I think one of them's going to end up with Roman. I'm assuming Jimmy, just because of the hair and the look, he's more he's looking more along the hillish side compared to Jay. Uh, Jay's doing everything to save his brother, and his brother is costing him the title. So I can see where they're heading that way. It looks that way anyway. But uh, the ending killed it for, like, the, the post-match killed it for me. Like you said, these dudes just got choked out. They were getting killed. They were holding onto each other's hands as if one's dying. You know, he's got in a car accident or something, and right. they're holding hands like, hold on, brother. We're, we're going to make it. And then as soon as Roman gets out of the ring, they're like, okay, let's sit up and let's look like we didn't go through anything. And, and I don't know. I don't think they can help it. But we saw this last time at Clash of the Champions where, like, he was smiling. It looked like, I, I just think that's his facial features. He can't. Help He wasn't smiling. It just looked that way. Right. And here, like they, they don't look like they've just been choked out or anything like that. But I don't think they can help it. It's just their facial features. And they're not very good actors as far as being able to sell that. It would have been much better if Roman just walked off and they were both just laid out in the ring, maybe holding hands. Yeah. Um, <laughs> since since that's, that's, how they, that's how it was ending. I know Jay was coming to towards the end, but Jimmy should have stayed down. He should have been knocked out and choked out. Because if you, you're waking, like he's consoling his brother after he was the one, he's the reason he choked. quit. Yeah, that was it didn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, that whole, yeah. that whole, that whole thing confused the hell out of me. Uh, to I, I don't even want to say they weren't selling. But it's just like, they're, they're not selling that any of this just happened. Like there's no anger yeah. there. It's just almost like you had a normal wrestling contest and you just did a job. And now you're sitting up and you're kind of like yeah. licking your wounds like, oh shit, I lost. But you're not really going after the other guy because all he did was beat you. But in this instance, it's far more personal and, and far beyond that. And these guys are just like, well, fuck. Yeah. Are you okay, buddy?
1: Yeah, Jimmy, you know? yeah, Jimmy's, Jimmy should have been laid out. That's, that's the one that killed me. Jay makes sense a little bit. He's crying. Yeah. He thought his brother was getting really hurt and gave up. He lost the title again because of his brother. And um, I can see him coming, too, at the end, so that makes sense. But Jimmy on his knees. He's even like kind of standing up, crouched over. Yeah. He's like, James, he's, like, he's like fresh.
0: Yeah. He's fresh. Like nothing ever happened yeah, to
1: him. Nothing happened. And I'm just like that is shitty. Like it took it away. It, it just took away that whole ending. It ruined the whole thing.
0: So yeah, the match goes damn near 30 minutes and that's the finish we get. And, uh, I, I see where you could see the seeds planted for Jimmy. And I saw that kind of last month too, with the pay per view. Jimmy, possibly a heel turn on brother Jay. And I, it would make sense to join Roman Reigns cause he needs somebody to feed off of, to you know be relevant i I think besides just feuding with his brother uh after reigns wins though he starts walking his way up the uh, ramp and who's standing at the top of the ramp it's afa and sika the wild samoans and that came out of nowhere for me and they hug roman reigns in a a very loving fashion they welcome him they basically crown him with a lay so reigns is now head of the table i suppose and uh when was he not head of the table as far as like this generation of samoans go they're like when when was it ever said that uh, J- you have to go through Jey Uso in order to be crowned head of the Samoan family here in 2020? I don't, I, I don't know. I don't really get it, but I guess Reigns just wanted the uh, uh, respect of the Cousins Uso. But uh, yeah, it was kind of odd. I loved seeing Offensive out there. Uh, it's a little uncomfortable when you see the guys at that age out there, you know, but I love seeing them out there. It's just that I, I kind of hated it at the same time because they were supporting Reigns and it kind of made him heels and it's like... I guess, you know, once a heel, always a heel. But it's just hard seeing guys that age coming out there and supporting the heels. But I guess, you know, that's it. They crowned them. You know, it's kind of like Jackie Fargo passed the torch on to Lawler, the new king of Memphis. It's like the Samoans passed the torch on to Roman Reigns now. Hey, man, this is yours for the rest, you know, for the rest of your run. Have at it. And that was pretty much the end of the segment.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was cool to see them. They look pretty good. They look relatively healthy for their age and everything. Like you said, once a heel, always a heel. If you if you know the Samoans, there's not a good bone in their body as far as their characters and stuff like that. So in that sense, it made sense. But yeah, usually when the old timers come out, it's to support the good guys. And I was kind of surprised. I know it's his dad up there, but I'm sure that was that probably felt really good for Roman Reigns to have his dad kind of crowning like that. So it's kind of it's weird, but it's like, a you know, it's like a positive thing, but it's for the bad guy. But pretty cool. The head of the table.
0: Up next, it's Jeff Hardy taking on Elias. Elias has a real music album coming out tomorrow. Uh, he sings here, uh, mocks Jeff Hardy's alcoholism, mentioned something about Jeff Hardy falling back on drinking, and Jeff Hardy equals DUI. And I don't know what you get out of things like that. I just, I don't understand the point of, I didn't really care for it when Lawler was doing it to Jake way back in 96. I, it doesn't make me laugh here. It's a heel, so I would imagine they're not really trying to go for comedy or at least I I would hope not. So I guess they're trying to go for heat to give Jeff Hardy more emotion, but you really don't see that here. He doesn't come in the ring looking to uh, destroy Elias, uh, you know, beyond any normal type of contest. So I I don't know the story here though, is this feud is based off of, I I guess, Seamus hit Elias with a car and he basically framed Jeff Hardy as a drunk driver here. Fucking stupid angle. And Elias returns, I don't know how many months later here, and uh, I guess he smashed the guitar over Jeff Hardy in, in his return, even though it's basically been proven that, that it was Sheamus who, who did the the car driving. So I, I don't know. I don't get any of this. Wouldn't this have made perfect sense to bring Elias back as a babyface to attack Sheamus? I'm not saying that'd be a good match, but wouldn't that make more sense? And especially in the timing of releasing an album, wouldn't you want him to be a babyface and maybe get a few more sales?
1: Uh Yeah, that makes too much sense there, Ray. Um <laughs> <laughs> it makes way too much sense. No, I don't I don't care for this. And I'm with you. Like, even the Scott Hall stuff from uh, whenever, O-1, I think it was. Oh, God, with, yeah. With, or also.
0: Hawk. Or Road or Warrior Hawk.
1: Yeah, Hawk. I mean, there's so many instances of, of Vince using their real-life demons to do an angle. And to me, like, my thought process is, like, Scott Hall, I, I remember reading, he was on Medicine That made him sick Sick, if he even smelled alcohol. So you put him in a cage full of beer. Like, what do you expect him to do? Like, you're just called, you're just asking him to get in trouble with this shit. I mean, he can't get away from it. He's trying to not do it. So you just, so let's put him in a feud where it's getting exposed. But I guess at the same time, this is hard punishment for being stupid. Jeff Hardy's had so many chances just because he's over. And, uh, you know, at this point, I don't feel sorry for him for being stuck in an angle like this because he done it to himself. Yeah. So it is what it
0: is. Yeah. I just think it's tacky. I don't even necessarily mean for Jeff Hardy or for anyone in general. It's just, what do you get out of this? This doesn't get any heat. This doesn't, it's, it's nothing. It's, it's just Vince enjoying it. Enjoying it. I think
1: millions of people suffer from alcoholism and drug abuse and everything else. And you're mocking Somebody who's going through that struggle, if anything, it's a sympathy. I I guess they're trying to get sympathy, but that's not going to work. You're just shitting in the face of everybody that has this problem. You think it's funny.
0: So let's try to run through this match fast, though, because this is a whole lot of nothing here, especially given the finish. Jeff dominates early, tries to jump off the steps under the barricade, but he misses Elias and barely beats the 10 count back in the ring. Elias does some shit. Jeff does some shit, his signature stuff. Jeff goes for the swanton in the ring, so Elias rolls to the apron. So Jeff goes for the swanton on the apron. So Elias rolls to the floor. So Jeff goes for the swanton on the floor. So Elias crawls away. I thought that was a fun spot anyway. So Elias crawls away and uh, Jeff drops down. He goes after him. Elias grabs the guitar. Jeff takes it away, breaks it over Elias' back on the floor. And for some reason, this match is a disqualification. Elias gets the win in seven minutes, 48 seconds, and... Why not pin Jeff Hardy? You know, with you got an album coming out tomorrow. At least give Elias a win here. Why a disqualification? Does this shit matter enough that we couldn't get a fucking pinfall from one of these two?
1: I guess it does, man. They don't have finishes at all if they want to continue a feud. I don't know.
0: This is a Trash. Much more feud for me. Yeah, this was horse shit. I did notice also on commentary, man. Samoa Joe was laying it in thick as a heel commentator here. I haven't watched weekly, you know, and I we mentioned that in the last time we we covered Clash of the Champions. I haven't watched weekly, but every time I have watched or, or read up on a show, it seems like Samoa Joe's kind of been playing a babyface to a degree. Um, he's been getting having issues with some of the heels or defending, sticking up for some of the the faces. He's very, at the very least, he's playing a tweener character where uh, he's not really necessarily on a specific side. In this match alone, it felt like if Jesse Ventura or Bobby Heenan was instructed to go at the baby face with every sentence that came out of their mouth because that's what he did here. I mean, it was like overbearing heel shit for me. Like he had to get a cross point that he was a heel announcer here because every sentence that came out of his mouth just uh, lambasted Jeff Hardy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I didn't really pick up too much on the commentary. My note here was actually like the commentary just has no enthusiasm anymore.
0: Yeah, it does. not These
1: people just, it's, it's just like, going through the motions it feels yeah. like vince um, has turned them all into zombies some,
0: yeah
1: i think samoa joe's actually new enough to doing this to where he's still enthusiastic about it and having fun with it uh and he's been in the ring so it works for him but yeah if he came up with some one-liners and stuff like that to go at Jeff Hardy, i'm sure they're pretty solid i just didn't really pay too much attention to that
0: yeah he hasn't been brainwashed completely yet by who, the headset general vince mcmahon uh, we go into our next match. It's Otis defending his Money in the Bank briefcase against The Miz, and this all took place as part of SmackDown's Law and Otis segments. I don't know if you caught those. I unfortunately did. Probably the first SmackDown I've watched in, a, in an extremely long time, and uh, I kind of wish I hadn't by the time it, it was over with. Most of the segments took place over the course of the first hour. It was basically a courtroom with people's court theme music playing. The judge was JBL. The bailiff was Ron Simmons, and I believe Teddy Long was the stenographer, the court re- reporter. It was supposed to be comedy. It led to JBL uh, fining in the favor of Otis keeping the briefcase, but then the Miz uh, apparently pays JBL for, JBL off with a, a briefcase of money. They don't actually show the money, but you hear a cha-ching sign, so you presume cartoony-wise there's, there's money in that briefcase. JBL changes his ruling ma- magically and announces this match for the pay-per-view because I guess. JBL gets to gets to book matches now at the pay per view, so that's why we have this match here. And what a fun little shit match this was! I wrote a couple lines of notes for this one, but really it just comes down to Otis hitting the caterpillar or going for the caterpillar. John Morrison pulls Miz out to the floor, back inside the Miz distracts the referee. It was the female referee, I'm not sure of her name. And Morrison jumps up on the apron and he tries to hit Otis with the briefcase, but he's caught by the referee. She ejects Morrison from ringside. And moments later, Otis's own partner, Tucker, has the briefcase, and he smashes it against his own partner's head, Otis's head, clocks him, knocks him out. The Miz even looks completely confused, but he doesn't, he doesn't hesitate. Well, he might hesitate for a moment, but he, he makes the cover and gets the win, and now Miz controls the, briefcase, the Money in the Bank briefcase. And I, I wrote here, no. The Miz beats Otis here <laughs> in seven minutes. 24 seconds. And then just like any good baby face that turns heel, Tucker just randomly his face changes into an evil face. And it, it, it he just it transforms in one split second. I, I always love when baby faces turn heel and then their face facial features just change and they stay that way. <laughs> it's so fun, cartoony and hokey horse shit, but that's what happens here. And uh there have been rumors, you know, Vince gave Otis the, the, the briefcase because it was COVID season. He didn't really care. And he was really into the Otis character. Yeah, ha ha, pal, that's some good shit. And so he gave him the, the the briefcase. And I guess some of the other writers and maybe even Bruce Pritchard have been talking with Vince in recent weeks about wanting to do something with the briefcase. And so now they've switched it away from Otis, who was basically only won it <laughs> based on a, a for comedic purposes only. So here, <laughs> Miz is no better. As the uh, briefcase holder, if you ask me, but Miz gets that they go backstage. We get a Ms and Morrison promo. Tucker shows up. I I don't remember. What, I don't know if it was Charlie Caruso or who it was back there, but she tells Miz it's and Morrison. Kayla. Oh, was it Kayla? Okay, she tells yeah. Ms. and Morrison that they just destroyed a friendship, and I'm like, how the fuck did Miz destroy the friendship? How did he make Tucker turn on Otis? Like. He, Tucker, Tucker wasn't associated with them. So I don't know who feeds her these lines or she came up that shit with herself. It made no sense. But speaking of Tucker, he shows up in this promo and he's jealous now. So Miz and Morrison kind of walk away and Tucker's jealous. That's very evident from this promo. They were supposed to be his team. He, you know, Otis can't do anything without him. Here comes Otis out of nowhere. And he blindsides everyone. Nails Miz, nails Morrison, nails Tucker. Tucker goes running. End of segment. You have anything you want to put, uh, add to to any of this shit?
1: Uh, no, not really. I mean, to be Tucker is believable. I, th- I thought he actually did pretty decent on the promo. He doesn't really yeah. get a lot of talking time,
0: Right. but he did that really was good his, on the that promo. That was one of his, that was one of his points on the promo. He's told not to talk.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, he says it's always been about Otis for heavy machinery and it always has been. Are you even going back to the NXT days? It's always been about Otis. He's kind of just there. So the feud and the turn makes complete sense. Uh, the question that Kayla asked Miz made no sense, but uh, I can see if Miz paid him off, but he didn't. So that question's irrelevant. But yeah, I thought Tucker did well with the opportunity that he was given. I'm not saying I'm interested in seeing wherever the hell it goes, but uh, he did good. That's all I got.
0: We go back to ringside for the next Hell in a Cell match. It's for the WWE Women's uh, SmackDown Women's Championship. Bailey taking on Sasha Banks. But before we get to the match, they cut to Michael Cole and Corey Graves at ringside. And I I wrote this down as a note. Corey Graves neck just disgusts me. I'm sorry for everyone that's into tattoos. I have nothing against tattoos, but his neck is just, his throat's fucking disgusting. Just absolutely fucking disgusting. I I can't believe this guy has a prominent role on television in a company that Vince McMahon owns. I just, I can't believe it.
1: Yeah. Like I know I, I heard Rhea Ripley wants to get like her full body tattooed. But they won't let her like tattoo her arms or anywhere visible up top, like un- above her waist. So if they're that particular about their talent, it just surprises the hell out of me that somebody like Corey Graves, like you said, is on SmackDown, which is probably the A show right now because they want to impress Fox, and he's the lead color guy. It's just crazy. But
0: I don't know how SmackDown can ever be the A show. I don't think Vince's ego will ever allow SmackDown to be the. Vince just, he competes with himself. The dude's a nut job. I mean, I get why it should be the A-Show, given that Fox is involved. I just don't know that Vince can ever allow that to happen in his mind.
1: The top the top guys are there. Uh, at oh, least you would I'm, think they were.
0: I'm sure there's been some words said to him, or after, you know, the last year of shit, that you better, you better sh- show some uh, attempts at making this work.
1: <laughs> You're going to FS1, baby.
0: That's right. They they see how they see how that worked. This, saw this that worked this past week, just like that. How did it go? Did it, what's the ratings? Just like that. I don't know. I haven't looked yet. I can't. I can't imagine it was all that well,
1: especially up against that, that World other Series
0: other... game. Man, that game was insane. I...
1: Yeah, that was crazy. But anyway, we're getting off topic here. But I was just curious if you saw the ratings.
0: No, not quite yet. But um, so this match kicks off pretty cool. Sasha Banks though, she needs. I've said it before. She needs her music back especially as a baby face here. That music does not work with her entrance. It sounds like a fucking tuba. I, I don't know what the fuck they're going for there. Uh, I found out that Bailey has been champion for 380 days and where the fuck have I been? And apparently she was, I, so I looked it up to make sure I understood them. And apparently she was champion for 140 days before that, lost the belt for five days to Charlotte and then won it back for another 380 here. So she's been champion a total of, 520 out of the last 525 days and i wouldn't and you wouldn't know that whatsoever unless you watched i guess smackdown which i don't so it didn't really mean a whole lot living proof that you can get away with anything over there on smackdown
1: yeah it's cool though i mean um i knew she was champion but i didn't realize it was for that long like i think i picked up on that at the clash or maybe even Summerslam before that i'm like she's been in the champion that long i didn't even know so tells you how well her run's going
0: so, you know, the story was Bailey wasn't going to sign for this match. She didn't agree to this match. And Sasha basically forced her into this match just Friday on SmackDown when she put a chair around her throat and made Bailey sign while she had her stuck in that position. Uh, so here we go with the match. And Bailey brings a an insurance policy to the ring with her, which is a steel chair. But Sasha shit cans the chair, gets rid of the chair. It goes flying out the door before the match can start, which... The, the probability of that actually working out as well as they did with that spot. Uh, kudos to them for getting that chair to fly through the ropes out to the outside of the cage, through the door to the outside <laughs> in one take. So the chair is gone. Bailey has nothing to use, even though there's nine thousand fucking uh, weapons underneath the fucking ring. So I have no idea what the big deal about this one chair was, especially since they pull more chairs out later. But there's kendo sticks and also there other shit they use throughout this match. Sasha does all sorts of her double knees and all of a sudden it has a name I don't know how long it's had this name but I actually skyped you during this match I'm like what the fuck are they calling these moves and you're like the meteora and I'm like I've never heard that I don't know if it's new I don't know if they it's been for weeks months I don't know I, I I've always heard them go the double knees and all of a sudden it's the meteora and it sounds like it sounds fucking lame (laughs) <laughs> but I'm like, she's doing these meteoras off the top rope and, and off the table into the side of the cage, and she must do the move every which way. It's almost like a, a DDP's uh, diamond cutter. You can hit it out of nowhere because she's hitting it every which way throughout this match. Here, but what do you think of this match?
1: I enjoy the story. I enjoy both of these women. They're really, they're probably the best uh, in the world that I can watch. I think Tony Storm and Rhea Ripley's right up there. Charlotte hasn't been around. I, and actually, to be honest with you, I was going to mention this to you on Skype, but I don't think I got to it. Uh, I think these are probably two of the few people on this in this company that the people actually care about because it's so believable how big of a friendship they have. And I, I know we had that whole one-hour show on talking about can WWE ever get back to their glory days and how we trash people for like social media and video games and things like that. Where I think in this one instance for these two women, I think that actually helps all the the uh, social media stuff that they do and the backstage stories of them being best friends. And we were supposed to get this before. We've seen it in NXT. We were supposed to get it before on the WWE roster. Uh, things changed due to injuries and what happened with Sasha. So it never really happened. They botched Bailey's call up. So all sorts of stuff. They've gone through hell and back probably 10 times over with each other and against each other. And this time it just felt with Bailey's heel turn and then Sasha joining up with her was the perfect storm so to speak for them Mm -hmm. and um i've actually bought into it because i i don't know if for whatever reason this is the one storyline that it kind of reminds me of fast and furious how they just kind of got lucky after those the first one how the second third one and fourth one didn't really do anything to totally butcher the storyline right for everybody to come back (laughs) they've been these people been together for five six years and somehow they didn't mess up the story so bad to where you can't go back to it And um, people are just invested in these guys all the way back, these women, I should say, all the way back to their NXT feud and that major, that big time matchup Brooklyn, NXT takeover Brooklyn. So people are invested in these and whenever you have that investment, these matches are always good. You kind of give them passes and things like that. But I thought this match was probably the best one on the show, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to argue that at all. Early on, Bailey uh, tries to go to work on Sasha's neck, but they don't really play that into the, the entire duration of the match, which is kind of weird because Sasha's coming back from the neck injury. So that's the only flaw I really found in the match here. Lots of great moves throughout the match and, and some flubs too, but you'll have that, especially with pro- uh, props, as my wife calls them. We call them foreign objects and weapons. My wife calls them props. Ooh, they're bringing out the props. <laughs> and that's basically what they are is his props and yeah. some of these props got knocked over while they were trying to set them up at, at points and times really cool spot though i thought it was lame at the, when they when she set it up i thought it would look like it was it was lame she uh bailey i think it was or maybe it was sasha set the uh kendo stick up in the hole of the the seal steps and, in, and into the cage it was propped up across the steps to the cage and i thought that looks lame like somebody's gonna go through a stupid uh kendo stick but uh the drop toe hold onto the the cane actually looked pretty cool there Sasha took. Uh, it was better than i i had anticipated they did some good stuff they they were really out there uh, giving it their all i mean um, some of the spots they were doing uh, S- sasha with the hurricane rana that she sent bailey head first into the cage way later in the match bailey with that sunset flip sasha goes backwards head first backwards into the oh. the steel chair that was propped up in the corner i mean her head bounced off that chair that was a hell of a yeah, spot that was nasty. my probably my that was nasty it was probably my favorite spot of the match. And, you know, I, people are like, oh, that's terrible. No, man, it was just, it was awesome looking. You know, I'm, t- I'm, I'm, you know, everybody wants to be equals here. I'm not looking at them as women. I'm looking at them as, as, as wrestling performers. And Sasha was tough enough to say, yeah, let's do this spot. And she took it. She didn't put her hand up. She didn't pull back. She took that shot, man. And it, it looked great. So great job by Sasha, as far as I'm concerned.
1: Yeah, I agree 100%. It was the best, maybe the best spot of the whole night, to
0: be yeah. honest with you. Yeah, I enjoyed it. A lot I, of times it was
1: sunset flip those sunset flip moves can look ugly because you delay or you got to flip over, get your momentum back and then do the move. Kind of like the the sunset flip power bombs to the outside. They usually always look like shit, but this one, it was just all one motion sunset flip. Bam. She's smoking the chair in the corner. So um, yeah, really, really great spot.
0: Yeah. They were throwing caution to the wind. I mean, in the outside, Bailey took some crazy spots. Like she didn't even, um, at one point, Bailey tried to do a Saito suplex off the apron on Sasha and Sasha counters into a sunset flip, Power bomb, and bailey goes flying backwards right into the cage no hesitation in taking the bump she just launched herself backwards into the cage very that could you know that can always end badly so they were just giving it their all they weren't holding back now let's now let's talk about the uh the elephant in the room the uh, spot that didn't take place that uh <laughs> that ate up a little bit of time here at one point bailey gets a couple of kendo sticks out from under the ring and some duct tape and it takes her forever to, to get the duct tape going. She's biting at it, gnawing at it. Finally, she gets it loose, and she starts taping these two kendo sticks together in shitty fashion. And then she props one up on the ring apron and, and all the way across to the cage, and then it immediately collapses because the duct tape's not on it very well. Yeah. And I'm just like, that took forever to set up, and then it, it looks like shit. And then Bailey actually trips over it as she's trying to, to climb back in the <laughs> ring, so it falls even more. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know this what they were the- going for there they don't end up using the spot. I don't know if that was just to kill time for Sasha to get the fire extinguisher out on the other side, but I don't think so because it just seemed like they could have come up with something better than that. And I don't know if somebody got in the rough seer yes. piece or, or what was told, or they caught an audible themselves, but whatever they had had planned over there, I'm glad they didn't do it because it would have looked like shit.
1: Yeah. I think so too. I'm sure they think these, this stuff through in the back, some of it. And I don't know what you expect when you tape two kendo sticks at the top end of them not the handle end it was the top end so she did a long way so it could reach long enough and they they sagged in the middle so it just looked terrible and it didn't look effective uh, the best part of that though she she grabbed the duct tape being a heel she's like, hey ref can you get this for me my hands are sweaty <laughs> so she had to use her teeth to get the tape and you can hear the ref say no I can't do that so I thought that was great I mean that's just being a heel and you know you, trying to make excuses for why it's taking long that's very smart it's the little things like that, that that impresses me. And for Bailey to be able to do that, it, it just goes perfect with the character that she's portraying right now. And I thought that was awesome um, that they picked up on that. But yeah, terrible looking spot. It just looked dumb. And yes. uh, I, you, you could tell, it almost looked like she was frustrated with how oh, yeah. shitty it looked after she taped it and set it up. And that's why she tripped over it to make I it, can... okay, maybe I'm just going to trip over it to make it look like it's not going to work and we'll just yeah. move on.
0: Yeah, and Sasha was on the other side of the ring so when Bailey came over to get her, she got uh, Sasha shot the fire extinguisher at her. And Sasha actually walked around then to the side of the ring where the duct taped kendo sticks were and she does a double take. She like looks down twice like what the fuck is that? Cuz she's just seeing it <laughs> for the first time. She's probably assuming it's set up properly and she goes over there and she's like what the hell is this, you know? So it was kind of funny all in all, but Bailey gets a ladder out, props it up on a couple chairs. Now there's two chairs in the even in the ring even though at the beginning of the match Bailey was worried about her chair getting shit canned out of the ring. But so the match goes on. She flop. uh, She flapjacks Sasha on the ladder, laser on the ladder, spray paints a big X on her. She goes up. She's going to go for the big new Jack diving chair spot here. Sasha moves. uh, Sasha winds up jumping off the ladder, doing the meteora on Bailey in the corner. See, I I pick up on these new move names. Um, (laughs) Sasha actually uses Bailey's own move, uses the old Bailey to belly for a near fall on Bailey. Um, then Bailey comes back with the, her own Bailey to belly and she also gets a near fall. So at this point, I'm honestly thinking Bailey's winning this match. Sasha got a lot of more offense in than that I was, I was expecting her to in the final minutes of the match. So it, I felt like it could have went either way, but I really thought Bailey was getting the win here until I accepted that maybe Sasha is going to win this match. She winds up getting Bailey in that, that bank statement or the, the crippler Crossface, if you will, or whatever, and had the chair wrapped around Bailey's neck and I love the added touch. Sasha's sitting there with her heel, the heel of her boot, slamming it down on top of the chair, smashing the chair across Bailey's neck as she's yanking back on it with the, with the submission hold. And Bailey has no option but to tap. And Sasha Banks walks out the new SmackDown Women's Champion in 26 minutes, 31 seconds. And I was so impressed that these girls went this long and just from beginning to end had a really good match. There was no really sloppy periods other than the kendo stick and the duct tape. Uh, and I forgive her for that. Um, other than that, man, there was nothing sloppy in this match. I mean, it was really good. Good psychology, yeah. good bumps, good moves. It didn't look, you know, timid. They really went out there and gave it, gave it everything they had and they delivered. And I, I thought this was the best thing on the show bar none.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's hands down. I, I even mentioned to you earlier that maybe they, they could in the show, And to be honest with you, it would have been cool if they did, but you can tell you know the story, they grew up being wrestling fans, so they're not just women being wrestlers because it's a nice paying job and you get to travel the world and all that. They actually love the business, they enjoy it, and they grew up with it, and they're inspired by some of the legends, so you can tell that they're invested and want to do their best possible work.
0: Right, they weren't models first.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I, I feel like And obviously when you're in there with your best friend, it's easy. So you could tell the the chemistry and everything, just everything about this story, this match, it all pointed to Sasha winning and the way she won was awesome. The kick in the chair was just an extra touch that a lot of people today just look over those little things like that. And Sasha picked up on all of the, both of these women picked up on it on those little things throughout this entire match that just feeds into the story. And I thought, They did a tremendous job. And I was kind of scared there for a second on that ladder spot. Mm -hmm. How many times have we seen people running and jumping off those and they just collapse under them before they can even do the move and they get hurt. And she's small enough to where it worked, thankfully, because that was a really cool spot too. But, um, yeah, just a great match. Really nothing negative about it. There were some sloppy moves. But, like I said, when you're invested in something, you forgive that and just move on. It was a really, really solid match.
0: My only hope at this point is that they – this isn't a transitional gimmick and that Sasha gets to keep the belt, at least through WrestleMania. And they give her a decent program to work through WrestleMania before she drops the belt because she really deserves it. I don't care how much Vince McMahon isn't a big fan of hers or how she's too injury prone, which I can't really argue that, but I'm a big fan and I thought she did a really good job here. So we move on.
1: She really hasn't had is that long run. And hopefully hopefully she gets it because I mean, there's really no other, Springboard that you can, she's going to ever get than this, right? Um, so hopefully, I let her run with it,
0: yeah. And we move on, and there's a U.S. championship match next. And you had Skyped me, Oh, I forgot about this match, and I hadn't forgotten <laughs> about it. But we were so deep in the show, I actually thought about it between every match. But we had gotten so deep in the show, I had just assumed that I misunderstood the pre show when Mustafa Ali made a, a, a challenge during the pre show for one of his retribution guys to take on the hurt business. I just assumed at this point in the show that the whole promo had been about something about tomorrow night on Raw. I didn't expect this match to go on this late in the show, but apparently I was wrong. We go backstage, and MVP and Lashley are standing there being interviewed, and Lashley's basically the one that's going to step up and take on the retribution tonight. And apparently, the U.S. title's just randomly on the line because Bobby Lashley's wrestling this guy. So all this guy had to do was issue an open challenge to Lashley, and somehow Lashley's title is on the line here, according to the announcers anyway. And lastly, he takes on Slapjack, whichever one that is. I I know who a couple of the guys are in Retribution. I don't know who's who under the masks. Uh, and honestly, with you, I watched this match on my phone instead of the TV. So I, I did watch the match, but I it wasn't like it was a you know 65 inches, and I could really make out who the hell was in the ring. Uh, so and I, and I was driving. So anyways, but Slapjack tries to attack. I think he throws a. A shirt or something at Lashley, but Lashley dominates. Slapjack makes the uh, token comeback. I saw him do a uh, corner cannonball into Lashley. He really left his feet for that one. <laughs> that could have really hurt. Lashley comes right back with the spine buster and the full Nelson, the hurt lock, gets the submission win in four minutes. Retribution all attack. Lashley, honestly, he doesn't even get beat down. He kind of holds his own. And then the hurt business come out to even the odds. And I'm like, okay, so the Fiend beat the living shit out of all of Retribution on Raw by himself and now here lastly basically holds his own while he's waiting for his guys to come in and and help him out so i'm not really sure how this is helping retribution at all and mustafa ali is turned from the leader of a a gang like a, a dangerous gang into the cowardly heel of the group because he's always like running away hiding not getting touched save that for another day or whatever and this looks like they're leading to maybe a survivor series elimination style match i could be wrong but that's what it seems like at this point but I just, this match went four minutes. It was really filler to, to further these guys' sides. But I think, I thought, I thought from the beginning, the way they've handled Retribution was, was terrible. But now that they're actually active members of the roster and signed contracts and wrestling in the ring, now they're like even getting handled even worse. They're just, they're, they look like shit. <laughs> I've seen two of them yeah. submit, not just lose. I've seen two of them submit in a matter of seven days.
1: Yeah, um, they're done. I I really feel like uh, the retribution angle is already ruined at this point.
0: There's there's nothing they can do to
1: recover from this. Uh, I'm not believing Ali. He had that cool run when everybody was salty. He didn't win money in the bank last year. It's whatever. He's a good wrestler, but uh, I'm just not a fan. This was Shane Thorne. He was in one of those tag teams in NXT, but his partner ended up retiring and headed back to Australia. So he's kind of been treading water okay for a while that's who he is but uh anyway yeah uh, dominic did that uh, he deserves better than, yeah jack yeah, yeah. He, he deserves better than this they better figure out something fast if they want to salvage this but jobbing out to lashley and hurt business I and mean, then wow i didn't watch raw but him them getting completely destroyed by bray wyatt they either already don't give a shit and just want to get rid of it or they're setting it up for a big name to come and save them. I don't know who that could be, but they're heading nowhere fast if they unless they change it real quick.
0: I agree. They could be the, the way of the uh, Raw Underground here pretty fast, <laughs> the way they're being booked. i will okay.
1: give him props. MVP? Uh, yeah. MVP. He's, he's such a great promo. It's crazy his gimmick that he had when he was actually a full-time wrestler back in the day compared to now is like a complete 180, and he kills it with both. Yeah. Both uh, characters, just a, just an awesome character, just a good dude.
0: Yeah, and it's nice that he can just kind of come in and, and play filler partner when needed in the ring, but he's more the mouthpiece, which is what all the other guys in, in that uh, group need right now. And we go into the main event of Hell in a Cell. It's another Hell in a Cell match. I think this is the first time ever we have three Hell in a Cell matches, as far as I can remember, on the pay-per-view. It's WWE champion Drew McIntyre taking on Randy Orton. Orton attacks McIntyre on his way to the ring outside of the cage. They do some fighting out there. Finally, Drew ends up sending Randy into the cage, and the match finally begins, legally. The bell sounds, and it's back and forth. Uh, The camera actually cuts away at one point because Orton jumped him in his uh, street clothes, so to speak, and uh, the cameraman cuts away when Orton takes his pants off. I don't know why because he has trunks on underneath, but the camera did pan away for some odd reason. I I don't know if that's like non-PG to watch a guy take his pants off to, to to show off his trunks. (laughs) but anyways back to the i just thought it was funny uh uh, orton does his old uh, what's what's that i
1: just said oh my goodness i didn't even pick up on that
0: it was it was goofy it's like oh my gosh i gotta i gotta pull away from this but anyways orton actually hits his backbreaker the uh over the over the back backbreaker gimmick that he does and i was uh shocked that they had drew mcintyre kick out on that move on a one count but um, Drew, with a variety of overhead throws here, I'd call them belly-to-bellies, but they were just a lot of different throws, really. Orton t- some of them, Orton just launched himself, it looked like. And this is where I kind of thought maybe Randy Orton was going to win the match. They go outside, and Drew does an overhead belly-to-belly belly throw, and Orton goes through a table on the floor. I go, Orton doesn't ever take <laughs> uh, moves like that, so maybe he's winning the belt here. And the match goes on, Orton comes back, gets some bolt cutters, cuts the chain off the door, climbs on top of the cage. Drew McIntyre kind of looks up, thinks about it for a minute. He follows Orton up top. And I'm wondering, why would you follow him up there? I would never follow somebody else that's already up there. They're in control before you even reach. Orton's favorite move is a punt kick. What's stopping him from punt kicking your face as soon as it reaches the, you know, (laughs) the ground level on the the top of the cage? But Orton actually, it makes no sense to me. Orton steps back and just waits for Drew to get all the way up there. Then he pulls up this uh, red piece of pipe. I guess it was camouflage. On the top of the the cage, the cage is red, of course. Fucking, that's another stupid thing altogether. I thought it looked like a fucking lightsaber. That's why I I asked you, is that a fucking lightsaber? But I guess it was supposed to be a steel pipe or whatever. Orton uses it to low blow Drew McIntyre and then just gets rid of it. I'm like, you went to all the trouble of spray painting a steel pipe red and hide it on top of a fucking cage and then you use it to low blow somebody and just throw it away? That didn't make a whole lot of sense to me there, but, uh, <laughs> they start climbing down the side of the cage. They get about midways down and these cages, these Helen the cell cages now are basically double the size of the old cage. So climbing down halfways is still like climbing to the top or maybe almost the top of the old cell. Anyways, uh, Drew takes a launches himself, takes a bump off the cage through one of the announced tables at ringside. And Drew makes the slow crawl all the way back to the door and all the way inside with Randy Orton stalking him. We get a little more action, Claymore kick, Randy Orton rolls out of the ring so he can't be pinned. Drew winds up trying to go for a second Claymore kick, Orton turns it into the RKO, out of nowhere, and Randy Orton winds up getting the win, and uh, I think this match went something like 30 minutes, and it felt like 30 minutes. I was okay with Orton winning with the RKO, but it just, I've seen Drew McIntyre kick out of so many finishes, including the RKO, at this point that it just felt like really wow 1 rko and that's it and i really don't know where the hell where they're going with this with anyone involved like where where Drew goes from here where Randy Orton goes from here i I'd, I'd love to say that i'm i'm interested to see where everything goes from here but i really can't say that and on a scale of 1 to 10 man i found this match a very bland match not nothing spectacular a 5 maybe a 6 and you know that's on an Orton curve you know you got to take it and you, you got to take the effect that uh, Randy Orton's involved. So otherwise, you know, it'd be even lower. If, if, it, if this was somebody other than Randy Orton, this match, I would give it a lower number than, than a five or a six. But with Randy Orton involved, I, I can only appreciate that there was no slow, methodical stalking horseshit for like, you know, half the match. Yeah. I don't know. What did you think yeah. about this one?
1: Uh, it wasn't horrible. Like you said, the Orton curve, I think if Orton, if you take it off the Orton curve, you're probably looking at a, a, a 3 or 4 out of 10. You put Orton in there, it's probably about a 6, like you said, uh, just because of how he works. And right. I can't say I blame him for the way he works. I mean, he's old. He's getting up there in age and I know it's been that way for a long time, but he paid his dues and <laughs> he's doing what a lot of other wrestlers do. It's kind of pack it in a little bit. But anyway, it was just your typical Hell in a Cell match. I mean, I felt like Roman Reigns and Jay Uso did try to do something different. I know they had the I Quit element, and then Sasha and Bailey they had their own unique match in the Hell in a Cell. The cell was kind of just there; they used it, but it was kind of just there. Whereas this, they decided we're gonna have a typical old school WWE Hell in a Cell match. We're gonna climb the cage, do the the bump off the side, and and, and things like that. And if you mention if you heard, I don't know if you paid attention too much at the beginning, but I think it was Saxton who said, uh three years ago today." Or not today, but 23 years ago, Shawn Michaels is an Undertaker in the Hell in a Cell, and then all of a sudden, Drew is doing the Shawn Michaels spot off the side of the cage. So, right. um, it's kind of funny you mentioned that one over the Hell in a Cell from King of the Ring. Yeah, it it was okay. I from what I heard, I heard they wanted to do Edge and Orton for the belt. Okay, they, they wanted Edge to get the title. As from what that was the rumor I heard, but with Edge, Taryn is I think what was this. Heck or whatever it was—that's a long injury. Maybe unless you're John Cena, I don't remember something like that. Yeah, unless you're John Cena, that's a long injury. So I don't know yeah. if that's still the plan or what. But um, I, I feel bad for Drew because he had the rocket strapped to him, and the way he was booked at the Rumble and everything yeah. after the Rumble before mm-hmm. the pandemic hit, he was getting elevated, and people were—I was interested to see. I couldn't wait to see him get his moment at WrestleMania. That you just knew it was coming. And for it to happen in a damn basically overpriced studio with no fans and his whole runs with no fans, I feel absolutely terrible for that guy.
0: Yeah, and I'll Um, say this about Drew myself. Um, I enjoyed his stuff, his brief stuff there in NXT since he's been back. I didn't really – I felt like they dropped the ball on his entire run after he came back to the WWE roster. I really wasn't feeling him. Even when I knew his push was coming, I wasn't feeling it. When it came, they did a good enough job, and he carried it well enough that I, I, it drew me in. I was interested. From the Royal Rumble onward to WrestleMania, I enjoyed all of that stuff. Unfortunately, like you said, he got stuck in this COVID situation, and he got basically screwed. And he's young enough that I hope he gets another opportunity to get a run this this length and and do something with it. Because while I didn't like anything they did up until this push, I enjoyed that he once he got this push, and so. Once that made me a believer again, I was kind of into it. Unfortunately, it's hard to get into anything with what's going on right now. And I'm kind of upset again here with this pay-per-view because I, you know, for like six, seven months straight, they had these atrocious mind boggling fucking terrible pay-per-views. And there was at least on two or three, occasions, my brother used to love to call me the day after every pay-per-view. So what did you think? And then I would go off on these Jim Cornette tirades to him. And I think he did it just because he enjoyed comedy, I guess, or, 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 you know, whatever. And we would sit there and he, I mean, he would say his piece too, but the shit that was wrong with the show, we'd point out all the plot holes and all the stupid, absolutely fucking nonsensical shit. And this went on for months. And now that we're recording and reviewing these things and recording them like this, these shows, they're lacking that extra shittiness to them. Now it's just, there's good matches. There's bad matches. Where's the horse shit. There hasn't been a lot of fiend shit. There's none of the cinematic shit right now. And that all that stuff certainly hurts it from being even worse. And I guess I shouldn't be complaining because technically just being a shitty pay-per-view is better than being a terrible, you know, uh, fucking absolutely ridiculous pay-per-view. So I guess this is a step up, but I I either like something to be good or so awful that I can have fun shitting on it. And this is kind of in the middle. Again, like last month, because nothing was over-the-top offensive. Some of the stuff wasn't good. Some of the stuff that wasn't good was short. And we had at least one really good Hell in a Cell match with the girls.
1: Yeah. uh, The problem is, I think we started doing this, uh, and I don't want to take anything from what's going on in the real world. But (laughs) the problem is, is we're catching this post-COVID. You know, they got the Thunderdome set up. And I I think that that's really changed the product to where it's somewhat decent, where it feels more what wrestling should be with the crowd. I know they're on video walls and things like that. And I'm not getting into the whole, that whole fiasco, but it's better than no fans and then having to do all the cinematic matches and, and shit like that. And that's where the terribleness came from. And now that that's gone, you're stuck with the typical WWE show where, there's some good, there's some bad, but there's nothing that's overly terrible that makes you say, Wow, this was a complete dumpster fire of a show. I like, there's good enough talent on this roster to get at least one good match <laughs> out of right. this show.
0: I think another thing is, you. yeah, and I think another thing is also, most of the stuff now is live where it was taped before. So they were taking more liberties and yeah. doing more hokey bullshit. And now they really can't do so much. So I do look forward to the return of the shitty stuff. I hope, like the cinematic. Shitty stuff and and some of the other things that don't make sense with the fiend and stuff. Just because I've never really got to comment on it in a public way, so I I hope to do that at some point. But I guess I can't really bitch at the same point time that we're not really getting that either. But yeah. So you got any closing thoughts on this pay per view or or where we head next with Survivor Series?
1: I thought Sasha and Bailey is definitely a match that I would go out of my way to watch. It it was that good, and I don't know if it's the culmination of this feud, but it was a pretty damn good ending to what was already been written. I would recommend going back and seeing that. Everything else, I mean, if you're a fan of the Roman Reigns character right now, you're not going to be disappointed with that either. I thought there some, they cut some more layers of the onion off of that one for me, and I was intrigued by that. To be honest with you, I'm intrigued with the Roman Reigns story. I, I like what they're doing with him, um, but the rest, eh, it is what it is.
0: Yeah, I, I feel the same. I feel like uh, we watched a bunch of shit. Titles even changed hands. Money in the bank changed hands, but I feel like really we didn't. You know, if we hadn't watched the rest of the show outside of the women's match and maybe just some of the rain stuff, and that's more for the character than the match, honestly, as you pointed out. Other than that, I don't know that you know you really missed anything with the rest of the show. And I could have done without you know 25 minutes of the 30-minute reigns match as well. So that's maybe maybe that's just me, but it is what it is, and that's where we are. And so. Okay, guys, that about wraps up this edition of the Patreon-only exclusive podcast, The Power Hour. We hope you guys enjoyed the show. We kind of tried to enjoy Hell in a Cell. I don't know that we succeeded. I found the good things. I, I liked Sasha versus Bailey, uh if you guys haven't guessed by now. So at least, you know, when I can walk away from a pay-per-view and say at least one match that went damn near 30 minutes was good, at least I got something good out of it, I guess, versus, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, the last six, seven, eight pay-per-views in a row where... Nothing was good for the most part. So I guess, you know, beggars can't be choosers and I'll take it where I can get it.
1: I'm glad it's only $10 instead of 65. I'll tell you that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Times have changed and so is the quality of the product. And Steve, man, I got to thank you for being here once again. I thank you for taking time to actually sit down and watch WW Hell in a Cell, take a few notes, one page of notes anyway, and, uh, you know, (laughs) sit here with me for an hour and just kind of talk about it. I know we kind of debated, do we want to do this tonight? Do we want to just comment on it tomorrow? And I know you said, uh, I just want to get this shit out of the way. So I never have to think about this show again. (laughs) And uh, I have to agree with you there. So I just want to, sums it up. yeah, man, I I appreciate you being here, man.
1: Uh, it's no problem. And to be honest, it's better to get it right afterwards just because it's fresh. And if it is bad, you're going to be in the, you're going to be feeling it still from the show being over. So, um, I could do this going forward, each pay per view. Just just knock it out afterwards if that's something we need to do And if you fans still enjoy it, if something that you enjoy listening to, we can keep on knocking it out. We're here for the people. Let us know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I don't I don't want to have to listen or uh, watch and take notes on WWE pay per views unless I'm entertaining someone somewhere in this world. And uh, with 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 that out of the way, this is Ray Russell and for Steve Ekstat. This has been the Power Hour.